Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of T1 Talks. This is a podcast where we aim to share our experiences living with type 1 diabetes to build a sense of community for diabetics. We want to dispel any myths about what it means to be a type 1 and increase diabetic awareness through our stories. I'm Gianna, a type 1 diabetic of 14 years and a recent graduate of the College of New Jersey. And I'm Victoria. I'm a medical student from Saskatchewan, Canada, and I was just diagnosed with type 1 diabetes early this year. And this week, it's my turn to share what a day in my life is like living with diabetes. If you listened to our last episode, you'd know that this is part of a two-part series we're doing where we each document a day in our lives as type 1 diabetics and what that looks like. Last week, Victoria told us all about how diabetes plays a role in things like her daily walks, her work life, and just other aspects all around. And now I'm excited to share my routine with you guys. I'm going to put a little disclaimer here though. The advice that I'd give to other people on how to manage their diabetes isn't something I'm great at implementing into my own life. This week has been really rough on the diabetes front, but I do want to be really open and honest with you guys about that. And I do think it's important to acknowledge the fact that although we have crappy weeks like this as diabetics, and sometimes it feels like that's going to be our entire lives with this condition, I'm still here. I'm really happy this week. I'm moving forward. And no matter what people tell you, you're going to move past it. You're going to be able to have a good day with diabetes you're going to have multiple good days with diabetes. So hopefully that's something you can take from my stories today. I love that honesty and the vulnerability that comes from sort of sharing the harder times, I think, speak the most to our listeners. It's easy to hear about someone just talking about their perfect day. But honestly, with diabetes, a lot of things go wrong. For sure. And sometimes it's hard when it's not like they just go wrong for like an hour or one meal or one day, but a whole week is a long time. And especially when those high and lows are impacting more than just your blood sugar levels, but they're affecting your moods, they're wrecking your sleep, your energy, all of those things. Oh, definitely. And I think that something that we'll notice as I go throughout my day is that a lot of these things do happen on a daily basis. And there's never just one thing with diabetes. If one thing goes wrong, it sets off another 10 other things. So it's a snowball effect. And I think that's what can lead to a trap of just feeling bad all day when one thing goes wrong. And so now you have to tell us about your day. So my day begins around 8 a.m. I'm just waking up, blue skies, my sugar is 100, I'm feeling great, the sun is shining. Okay, guys, I'm completely kidding. I had actually slept through quite a few of my Dexcom alarms because I woke up and my Dexcom read 58, which is 3.2 for all you Canadian fans out there. So feeling-wise, I felt a little bit off, but as I think I've mentioned in a previous episode, I'm not one for getting much sleep at night. And it's pretty difficult for me to tell the difference between a low sugar and being extremely tired and just experiencing symptoms from that. So I decided to calibrate based on the fact that I hadn't gotten much sleep the night before and both my meter and my Dexcom matched up. They were both reading numbers in the 50s. So I grabbed a juice and I took a cookie and I had a breakfast of champions that morning. Okay, that's a great breakfast. At least your numbers matched up because sometimes that's the biggest annoyance when you look and they're just totally off. Right? Of all the times that my Dexcom is right, this was the one time I wanted it to be wrong. It was kind of scary to know that I had slept through sugars that were probably below 50 because my sugar tends to shoot up right when I wake up or right before I wake up. And just thinking about that didn't give me a great start to my day. So what I decide to do next is wait 30 minutes after my super healthy breakfast and check my Dexcom again to make sure that my sugars are in fact going up. And I notice that I'm at 101, which is near perfect and you'd think that'd be great. But my sensor tells me that my sugars are also rising. So I'm getting a little nervous at this point trying to figure out, should I have had the cookie with the juice? It's too late to do anything. Maybe I overshot it. My sugar's going to go too high now. But if I correct too early, 
that my sugar is going to drop again. And I'm going back and forth in my head trying to figure out what to do before I decide, let me calibrate, make sure my Dexcom's correct. Maybe if it's a higher or lower number on my insulin pump, I can see that and know which way to adjust. My pump tells me my sugar's 120, so there's the Dexcom I know and love again, and I take one unit of insulin because my correction factor is 20 points, so theoretically this should take me back to my goal sugar, which is 100. At this point, I'm just kind of frustrated because not only are my sugars messed up, I didn't get the breakfast I wanted, I had had high sugars for the past couple of days before this, so I decided to try putting my Omnipod on my arm, get that fast insulin since I don't use those sites as much as I use my back. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you'd know that the reason I don't use my arm that much is because it's really painful for me and it also falls off really easily. And when I woke up on this specific morning that I've been recording for you guys, it was hurting really badly. So not only was I experiencing the symptoms from my sugar being low and then the rise of that, I was experiencing the physical arm pain of my Omnipod and I started to try to figure out, should I take this off? Should I not? I'd never want to waste a pod if I don't have to. And I also wasn't sure what the benefit would be here because my arm was giving me the insulin a lot faster than my back was. You really just can't win, can you, Gianna? (laughs) I'm really trying here, I promise. Those darn Omnipods. I'm starting to think they're out to get me. Anyways, just five minutes later, my Dexcom tells me that I'm up to 143 and my sugar is rising. Keep in mind, I was just at 101. I do that thing that's supposed to lower my blood sugar levels taking insulin and my sugar is now 143 and going upward so I decide I need a break from dealing with my sugars and the first thing I do is I pop my phone on do not disturb I do this sometimes when I feel a certain way from my sugars being out of balance or I just know that I'm not going to react well to the people around me and I can't really hold a conversation right now so remove myself from there I put on my favorite podcast try to relax and I've been trying to learn calligraphy recently so I thought that would be something good my sugar is not in a dangerous area so I was looking for something that would pull my attention away from it and really hone in on my focus so I wouldn't be in a constant state of anxiety over my arm that was still hurting and my sugar that I couldn't figure out. It was just like a nice little break and this actually definitely helped me. I started to feel a little bit better. It was nice to have a part of my day that I could control but unfortunately my Dexcom switched to 135 and rising just five minutes later so that kind of freaked me out just because if it was 143 and rising how was it now 135 a couple minutes later? It just was really confusing for me how I could go from one number going up to a lower number going up. And now I'm starting to wonder, is there a problem with my sensor? Is something wrong inside there? And that's something that I can't afford to give up. So my final decision was to just wait around and see what happened. And at almost 9 a.m., my sugar finally stabilizes at 141 which I was happy with, but I wish I could understand how I got there and what was going on with my Dexcom in that time. Actually, you bring up a really good point about the Dexcom rise arrows. And I know like it is really frustrating and confusing when you get a lower sugar and it's still giving you that rise. And I mean, the Dexcom always has some error in it, so it's not always going to be accurate. But what it does to figure out the rise arrow is it just calculates the rate of change over your last like three readings. And so in the last 15 minutes, you're rising really quickly in those first say 10 minutes but in that last five minutes you're actually falling back down and so that's probably what you caught was that just little dip down when you were starting to stabilize and then you sort of stabilized out and you just sort of I guess what you caught was just like that exact change to where you leveled off and Dexcom just hadn't caught up yet to what your new trend was does that make sense 
Yes, that actually does make sense. I guess I was just thinking of it more like my glucose monitor where it's just one number being pulled out every time you test or every time I guess I look at the Dexcom. But it's obviously getting a lot more data than that and not something that's comparable. I'm definitely glad I decided to go with my gut here though and not do anything rather than start to correct again because I think I would have got caught in that vicious cycle of up, down, up, down. Totally. And I always remind people like your brain is smarter than Dexcom if you think about things and sort of remember that obviously you're not going to be right all the time, but you can see a flat line before Dexcom can just because of how Dexcom is actually calculating a number. Whereas you can just look and say, oh, hey, my last two sugars were identical. So probably I'm stabilizing Dexcom. It takes a few more minutes to catch up. And then the other thing that's good to remember too, is like you were saying, it's good to wait maybe more than like five minutes at a time, because when you give yourself insulin, it almost takes an hour hour to peak depending on your body and how sensitive you are. And so that means that you could give yourself insulin. And if you're going to give yourself insulin, even 15 minutes later, that first bout of insulin is still in your system. And often this is what causes that overcorrection. So you correct and correct and correct, and then you crash down low. And it's just because there's sort of this inherent delay and how long the insulin takes to start working. And the same is true for carbs, which is why there's the 15-15 rule for carbs. So if your sugar is less than 72 or four in the Canadian system, you treat with 15 grams of carbs, you wait 15 minutes, and then you test again and see what's happened. And I know nobody follows this. I have to treat my lows. It depends. Sometimes I treat my lows with less than 15 carbs and sometimes with more depending on sort of what my activity is. On a walk, I always drink a whole juice box, which is 24 carbs. There's sort of this inherent difference between how fast food works in your system and how fast insulin works. And it's just this constant battle for us. Oh yeah, that's another reason I wanted to make this episode is I don't think people are aware that it could take more than 15 minutes to fix your blood sugar because you go online, you see this 15 minute rule and and you assume that it truly takes a diabetic 15 minutes to fix their blood sugar. But the truth is, I rarely can fix my blood sugar in 15 minutes, especially if it's high, but also if it's low. It can take more than that and oftentimes does. I think this is an important thing for employers to think about when you have a diabetic working for you is just be aware that Yes, you can give them those 15 minutes, but if their sugar is still bad at the end of that, you shouldn't just be saying, oh, you must be good to go get back out there because I've heard a lot of stories about how diabetics weren't given more than 15 minutes. And when they explained that their sugar still hadn't been fixed, the employer didn't care and told them that they got their allotted time and they had to get back to work, which is a scary thought because it's not only dangerous for the diabetic that's working for you. It's also dangerous for your guests or your clients, whoever you're serving. Completely. I think that that's a really, really important point that I definitely didn't mention is that that's purely just for treating your low. So that's just to see if your sugars come up above four or 72. And then if they don't do that, you need to treat again with another 15 grams. But for me, I feel like absolute garbage when my sugars are low and just starting to come up. That's the worst part for me is that change. I don't feel as bad when I start dropping, but when I start rising, it's insane how awful I feel. So like sometimes it takes me a good half hour before I feel better after going low. So you're totally right on that. Oh yeah, that adjustment for diabetics can be 
brutal. It's really difficult when your sugars are all over the map. Jumping back in with my story though, before we get too far off track, I decided to just do some work for my remote job and start running some errands until around 10 a.m. when I eat my actual breakfast, which is a bagel. I take my insulin and about 30 minutes after I eat, my sugar shows that I'm at 86, which is around 4.7, but my pod does smell like insulin at this point. So I'm a little curious, did the insulin actually get in my body? Am I going to be paying for this in a little bit? And I'm a little nervous now. With something as high carb as a bagel, I get super frustrated if some of that insulin doesn't go in. How many carbs are in the bagel, Gianna? So I would say probably somewhere around 55. I'm proud of you for carb counting. Why, thank you. And fortunately, 11 a.m. rolls around and I'm at 112 or 6.2. So the day's looking a little brighter. I take a snack. I don't give myself insulin for it at all because I I just do that sometimes. Usually if my sugar's around 100, especially at a time like this, I just know myself and I know that it's going to go lower. So I leave it. At 12.30, an hour and a half later, I'm now 103 or around 5.7. So the whole no insulin thing actually worked out for once. That is a miracle. And please don't do that. That's seriously so amazing. And so far, really, your day is sounding like you've got this diabetes thing totally figured out. I know no one does. But seriously, you're doing a great job. I love this. Yeah, well, I think it's worth pointing out that I've lived with this for over 10 years and I'm still just as lost as ever. I would say that it gets easier over time, but when I say easier, I just mean I think you get a better gist of what things work for you and what don't when it comes to managing it and being happy while managing it. Thanks for that. Yeah, something for you to look forward to. Anyways, I go into work at 2 p.m., I'm a little nervous because if I go in around 100, likely below within a couple of minutes, which is hard to deal with, especially now because usually I can drink juice and keep drinking while I'm working. But obviously that's a lot harder when we're wearing masks. And I also just get super uncomfortable asking people to cover me in a place where we're already short staffed. So I just go in and suspend my pump, which means I'm not getting my basal dose, the dose that runs throughout my body 24-7. And by my break at 6.30ish, my sugar is now 150. So I suspended it for too long but I didn't have time to keep checking my sugars while I was working. So it was really unfortunate because by 7 p.m. I was already up to 200. Ah, that's the worst. So like, what did you think about doing at that point? For me, I would correct to bring myself down under 180 sort of at least. For me, that would be one unit-ish. But I can, if I was worried that that one unit might be too much, I would even do a smaller dose, like a half dose if I feel like I need to act. And then I would sort of watch and wait. But I totally see what you're saying too about not being able to check all the time. And when you're working, you need to be working, right? Yeah, well, I think I should just take a second to explain why I'm so annoyed at this point. Because my breaks are only about 15 minutes or 30 minutes. So in that limited amount of time, I have to figure out how to fix my sugar and be able to leave time for me to eat after it's fixed. And so going into my break with an already high sugar means I can't eat during my break. And that food is the energy that gets me through my shift. So it's really difficult when I don't have time for that. So now I'm sitting there stressed over whether I should eat or not eat, even though my sugar is high. I'm going back and forth on whether I should take correction or not. On one hand, I could end up low again because I'm running around at work. I'm making these quick thinking decisions, which tend to lower my blood sugar levels. On the other hand, I could end up even higher than where I am right at this moment. And when that happens, I'm not able to function as well. I'm not providing the amount of service that I would like to. And I lose a lot of that engagement that makes work fun. 
And as for what decision I ended up coming up with, I didn't write it down, but I'm pretty sure what I ended up doing is taking a partial correction where I looked at what I should be taking and only took part of that amount because I knew that I was going to continue to drop throughout my shift. By 8.30 p.m., I was down to 182 or 10.1. I felt a little fatigued at this point. I couldn't focus on what was going on. These kind of feelings usually hit me when I'm fluctuating up and down a lot. Those times are really the worst, I would say. And that's what I was saying too, is it's worse to change levels than it is to just stay low or stay high, of course, within reason. But even fluctuating within normal sugar levels doesn't feel very good. It feels yucky. Yeah. And I think at this point, I really wanted to go home and just have my shift be over, but I still had two more hours left. So 10 p.m. my shift ends and I get in my car and this was a shift where I happened to be working outside for most of it and it was pouring rain. So I was wet from the rain. I was wet from the sweat because the weather was in the high 80s and I get in my car, knock into the seat a little bit and my pod falls off my arms. So if you thought I couldn't get any more angry than I was before, hello, I'm here. According to my Dexcom, my sugar is 217 and now I don't have a pot on, which means my basal rate isn't getting into my body and it's just going to rise from here. I could have sat in the lot and put on a new pod, but I was just so over it at this point that I just drove home and told myself I'd deal with it then. By the time I got home from work, I was feeling a little nauseous. My sugar was up to 246 and I decided to just start rage bolusing. I took a bunch of insulin. I didn't write down how much I took, but I do want to point out that it was probably just a random number because when my pod falls off, I don't know how much insulin on board is really in my body anymore. My pump is still calculating that insulin from before the pod fell off, so all those numbers are now skewed, and I can't really calculate correctly. Totally. And now 40 minutes later, I'm at 2.49. I can't believe this. It's been 40 minutes. You'd think that my sugar would finally be going down, but instead all I've done is gone up a few points. I end up staying up until almost 1 a.m. My sugar is finally at 166, but the arrows are pointed down at a diagonal drop. And so I just go to bed hoping with everything that I have that I'm not going to go low in the middle of the night. That darn hour you have to wait for your insulin to start really kicking in is killer. It takes so long, especially when it's like midnight. Yeah, and looking back, I wish I had stayed up and made sure that my sugar wasn't going to continue to drop throughout the night. But like I mentioned before, I was feeling exhausted. And I'll be honest, I didn't have it in me to stay up. And sometimes you have to do that. You're just so tired. And obviously, you didn't go lower, not too low overnight. But that fear of not waking up is something that I don't think you can understand unless you experience it. And I don't think you can understand the perspective of a diabetic unless you experience it every single night. I know once in my much more youthful times, I drank way too much and I got super, super sick that night. I just turned 19 years old. I think it was literally my 19th birthday. So I didn't have a ton of experience. 19 years old is the legal drinking age here. So it was a big party, obviously. And I just really didn't know what I was getting into. And it was definitely the first night that I went to bed thinking that I might die. I was so sick. But now this is a worry that I experience every night. And obviously it's different. But even last night when I was going to bed, I was going low and I'd eaten too many cupcakes. And so I knew that I was going to come up, but I also needed to wait an extra hour just to make sure that I actually did come up and could safely go to sleep. And that's so frustrating, especially when you're off work late. For me, it wasn't too late. I think it was like 10 p.m. or something. And again, like it's just the last thing you want to do right before bed is stay awake and check your sugars. I think that's actually such a great comparison. And one day I want to create an episode about alcohol and diabetes. I'm sure that'll be coming in the near future. 
But going to bed with both of those is its own whole other story. Anyways, I know that this episode is meant to be just a day in my life, but I think it's important for me to share a bit more with you guys to get a clear idea that these blips or whatever you want to call them aren't just one-time things. These are things that happen daily for me and other diabetics. Totally. And they aren't unique to you either. I think so many people see the quote unquote Instagram diabetics. I'm often one of them who post straight lines and good sugars and good A1Cs and all of these things. But like that just isn't the reality that most diabetics face. It takes so much work and so much patience to live with this condition every single day. And I think really the point of this episode was to share the reality of how challenging it is to live day to day with diabetes on your shoulder all day and that there's different ways that we cope with this. And so I think it's okay that you're sharing more than a day. Love it. Thank you. I really try to stress being as authentic as possible online. I personally use my social media presence as a way for the people that can't be around me in person all the time to really get to know me. I try to be as transparent as possible and that means I showcase everything, the successes, the failures, I try to document all of it. And I really think that this shows growth and it's also something that I can look back on and see just how far I've come. So I actually ended up recording some of my sugars from the next day as well. I woke up at 2.65 with a dry mouth and a cannula hanging out of my body. So even though I had just replaced my pod the night before when I fell off in my car, here I was having to put on a new site and have to recorrect, having no idea when this happened, if it was in the middle of the night, if it was as I was just rolling to wake up. I have no idea how much basil is in my body once again, and I'm forced to correct with pretty much no knowledge of how much insulin I should actually be taking. Fast forward to a full hour after I change my pod and correct, I'm only at 2.45, but my Dexcom tells me that my sugar's rapidly dropping, so I do feel a bit okay. Unfortunately, 10 minutes later, I'm stabilized at 2.47, so I decide to hold off and trust that my correction factor worked, but wouldn't you know, we reach noon and I'm 2.66 with a straight up arrow. I decide to correct again, and then I go into work, but by the time I get there and I get situated, my sugar is now rapidly dropping, which means that insulin that I thought I didn't get, I did. It just took a little longer than it was supposed to. I took care of my sugars throughout the shift, and around 10.15 p.m., I end up leaving work. My sugar is 146. I'm feeling good, and I decide to stop on my way home to get some snacks. This is something I normally do, but something that normally does not work out for me. And I ended up staying up until 1.30 a.m. because my sugar started climbing, and at the time I decided to go to bed, my sugar was 283 with a diagonal arrow pointing down. I had taken insulin for the food, so I was just kind of hoping that it would work itself out and I could go to bed, but I was a little nervous that it might drop too low with that kind of arrow right before you're going to sleep. You never know. So I set an alarm for 3 a.m. to check on my sugar, but of course it's me. I slept through it. And by 6.30 a.m. I woke up and I noticed that my sugar was 62. So I could tell that I had slept through some low numbers throughout the night, probably in the 50s and 40s, super dangerous. And I was really upset to know that my alarm hadn't woken me up and I had just kind of carelessly gone to sleep hoping that it would figure itself out so i think that wraps up what a true weekend in my life looks like usually losing my pump somewhere along the way when i need insulin too i know that happened this week as well and i was texting you during that victoria so i'm sure you loved hearing about that totally i was thinking about that when you were messaging me with your lost pump about how stressful that would be because your pdm is your pump so even if you have that pump on you all it can do is deliver your normal basal rates you can't change it or add any bolus or anything like that whereas like mine's always attached to me which is annoying but also nice because i'm never in that scenario like unless my cannula fails or my pump tube breaks or something yeah i'm really glad i don't still have to use tubes because they would get caught on everything for me but with the omnipod I do have to say I lose it quite often 
And usually the times I lose it are the times where I see my sugar beginning to shoot up. And I can't really take insulin with the needle while that's happening because it's a little dangerous to have that insulin going while not knowing which of my basils is running through my body or how much insulin is already going in me. It just becomes a little bit of a gray area. Ugh, yeah, then you end up having to basal dose with your fast-acting insulin and that's no fun. But that basal dose should be sort of consistent for you. So you would only bolus for food or for corrections, sort of how you normally would. But my, I had a cannula, a recent cannula failure just like on the very last night of my pump this week. And I can just tell because my sugars were just stubbornly high all night. And then I changed my site and it was magic. Yeah, it's a little weird because I feel like I didn't start to notice how many issues there are with my insulin pump until this year. But then I also get into thinking about how many more problems there were when I used insulin pens and needles. Totally. And I was just talking to someone about this today on Facebook. There isn't really a right way. If you personally think a pump is better for you, then explore that versus if you don't, right? When I was on pen injections, things that I really didn't like were insulin delivery is actually not as easy. It's not as easy to see how much insulin you get. Sometimes the insulin comes out after you inject it. There's just sort of a annoyances that come with pen use. And then obviously for me, the big one was like having to carry my pens with me and have both types of insulin all the time and not being like able to adjust as like, I really like being able to fine tune things. But there's a lot of bad things about a pump. Like the cannula failures are scary. I've never had high sugars that are so frustrating because your boluses just literally aren't working. So it's hit or miss, I think. And it really just depends on your lifestyle. Yeah. So it's like picking the lesser of two evils in a way. Literally, that's always the choice we seem to have to make when it comes to diabetes management is regardless of the actual decision, we're always dealing with just sort of like trying to come up with what's the best decision for us. You're totally right. All right. Well, I actually think that's all I have for today. Unless you have anything you want to add, Victoria, I think this is a good spot for us to move on to our goals. Definitely. That sounds great. So I know you were taking a second shot at your goal from the week before. How was attempt number two? Honestly, it was a little rough, but by this last couple days, I started a new book and I'm only one chapter in, but usually like once I get started, I can't stop. So I'll keep you posted on that. And next week, my goal is to find, but not to do, an online full body stretcher activity routine that's less than 30 minutes. It's sort of different from my normal routine. And I really just want something that I can learn and sort of have in the back of my mind for when I just need to move and not think too hard about it. So how about you, Gianna? I think that's a really great goal. I like how it's different from your normal walk. I think it'll give you something interesting to throw into your week, mix it up. As for me, I failed this week. You couldn't tell from the rest of this episode, it was not a good week for me. So no leadership board this time. But if I do get up there, I will let you guys know. I think that that's super understandable given how your week went. And it is really hard to make the leadership board. Anytime you have any sort of sensor connectivity loss, anytime that you have to... Definitely. I totally understand. It's super hard to get on the leadership board. I know anytime you have like a sensor connectivity loss or anytime you change a sensor, anything like that, it really messes with things. Even when I go on airplane mode for exams, but just to rub it in your face, I was on the leadership board this week. I'm not today, but I definitely made it on this week, mostly just by accident yesterday, I guess. That part of the podcast may or may not get lost in editing, so we'll see if anyone finds out. I'm just kidding. I'm super proud of you. I know you're up there all the time, so this is probably no big deal, but I think it's awesome. I know. I'm sorry. I wish it was you and not me, honestly. 
it's okay. My time to shine will come. I'm super competitive, so honestly, it just motivates me more. I will redeem myself, I promise. I will be so excited when you do. So what's your goal for this week? Okay, so this week I set more of an achievable goal, but something I've been putting off for probably eight months now or so. I was supposed to get blood work right before quarantine started, but obviously with COVID and everything going on, I pushed it off. Then I saw my endo last month and they asked me to go again. I still have the paperwork and I just haven't gone. So I definitely want to get a more accurate testing of my A1C levels. I'm just going off of clarity right now. Definitely need to get blood work. So I'm hoping for this week. That's a great goal. And from today until next week, I will remind you at least three times, Gianna. Thank you. I promise I will need that. So literally, I can't believe that this brings us to the end of our episode today. And not only that, but next week will mark our 10th episode. And that's crazy. 10 weeks of T1 Talks. That was fast. And so stay tuned. And in the meantime, we would definitely love to hear from you guys at T1 Talks on Instagram. Have a great week. Bye.